Welcome back to the show, everyone. This episode explains the ethos of the Beef Initiative. Founded by Texas Slim, a cowboy who grew up in the panhandle of Texas, and through his professional career as a research analyst, he was able to spot the cracks in the system of food intelligence and is now exposing the falsehoods that prop up a system that is keeping Americans and the world in a state of metabolic deficiency. Listen into Slim while he explains why and how we should take ownership and control of our food by shaking hands with one rancher at a time. Thank you. Cool. Cool. This yeah. is a new technology that I have. I, I haven't used Zoom once until now. And then I think whenever I did that interview with you and that's it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Lucky you. I tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else has been on it ever since the pandemic started, really. Yeah, man. And I was, we used to do these things. It just wasn't Zoom whenever I was in big tech and everything. It was always pretty fascinating. But uh, if you look deep into Zoom, it's an interesting company, to say the least. So I got to look into it. You got to tell me a few things. I mean, we're pretty much rolling. I'll, I'll record a new intro or something for this, but we're pretty much rolling. So go for it. Tell me what, <laughs> tell me what I need say- to know about Zoom. Well, no, it's just one of those, uh, another one of those multinational corporations that have uh, an inside track into everything that we're doing right now. So a lot of data analysis comes through these meetings. And so it's unlimited what they can do with the content. So shoot, if it helps further the beef initiative, keep it going, I guess. Well, that's what we got to be. We got, we're 100% transparent. That's what's so beautiful about this is that we we hide nothing and it's just fascinating because we we really get to know the law and we really get to see it and for where where it is and what it is and so especially when it comes to meat and processing and all that kind of good stuff so we've got a lot of people battling out there with the uh the law the inspectors the regulations and everything so it's fascinating how everybody kind of comes together when all you're trying to do is uh, lead by truth, transparency, and just say, hey, we'll follow the law better than the law knows itself. How's that? That's, a, so, that's a great mindset to have whenever you're doing something grassroots as we are. Well, you are, and I'm just trying to get into it. No, nah, we're all doing it together. That's the thing about it. That's what's been so cool about this. So, Oh, I love it. Okay, well, I, I'd like to give a, a shout out to why I decided to ask you, Slim, the man himself to come on to my humble show, which I'm, I'm downgrading myself, but I'm trying to make a come up and I'd love the fact that you're my first full-time guest. So thank you for that. But Hey man, that's, that's a good honor. It's always good to be a first sometimes. And you know what? I always remember my first. (laughs) There you have it. The the reason why I wanted to pull you on here is I had a a conversation. We do the no agenda meetups, no agenda show. Shout out to them as well. We do that show um, meetups out here in the Pacific Northwest. And a lady who's actually a gold miner came through and taught me everything there is to know about gold mining. And when I brought up your name, whenever she wondered what, uh, what kind of things I'm doing outside of work and outside of podcasting, I brought up Slim and that I'm trying to do everything I can to further the beef initiative. David Bennett is doing a way better job, but I want to find some sort of way to evangelize that message, the, the gospel, so to speak, of the, the beef initiative. And she's looking for that same template. And I imagine quite a few other people are as well. So I sure. want to ask Slim, what is, what's the best way other than the tried and true method of shaking a rancher's hand? I'm talking about everyone else outside of the rancher because it's it's great to bring ranchers onto it and that's the whole point of the beef initiative 
but to get other people that are going to be consumers of this industry that you are creating, how do we get them on board with this message? Yeah. And that's, you know, everybody always asks me about, you know, it's so broad and vast because it, the beef initiative in the long run will be whatever the individual makes it because uh, what we're doing is we're getting back to the source of the seed of where we came from, especially with nutrition, food, heritage, legacy, uh, relationships, uh, decentralized communications, peer to peer, you know, the two party phone line systems, everything we're moving moving into a, a new age of information and of communication possibilities. And, you know, whenever I got into the beef initiative, it, it was based off food intelligence. I've gotten very sick and um, damn near died. And so I looked at food again and I went back to my ancestors and because we come from agriculture and ranching and I really dove deep into, you know, trying to get to, to the source of like where I, where I came from, how, how we lived and how healthy we were, and what we did, you know, as far as our physical activities. And so food intelligence took me back to ranching in the state of Texas. And I knew that basically the state of Texas had fed a nation at one time. And we have all of these things going on with that information war that I was telling you about and there's a war on good animal protein and it's being done in ways a lot of people do not understand and whenever you look at deep into food intelligence what you find is that you know at a period of time when we started monocropping and we started introducing a lot of fake commodities into our food systems our health started declining along with the introduction of those fake commodities and that happened after we went off the gold standard ranching took a hit you look at charts and they all follow the same thing. So we're onto something with food intelligence. And what we're going to do with the beef initiative is we're going to get back to where we came from and we're going to create market access, market access to communication, market access to information, market access to pure animal protein that's done like our grandfathers and great grandfathers did before they started doing the multinational grain, chemical, and, you know, feedlots, all this kind of stuff. We're not against anybody that basically practices protocols in the United States. We're not against any form of American rancher. We are trying to save the <clears throat> American rancher in a way that they've been attempting to for, you know, a couple of decades now. And so I think we're going to have massive success because the beef initiative is being led by the producer and ranchers themselves. And so what we do is we accommodate and we give them a voice that they've never had in the digital space. And we give them a voice in a decentralized way <clears throat> that their grandfather and great grandfather did. Sorry, I was choking up a little bit there. But no, you're fine. By saying that, um, we're giving the great American rancher a voice that he's never had before. Okay. Okay. That, that, that sums up the whole, whole idea of the beef initiative. And if, it, if I could boil that down into the shortest, most concise message that I can come up with, it's that we're saving the rancher by giving them a voice in a decentralized way. And my question for you after this is, Let's say that I'm talking to man on the street. I'm at a supermarket. I'm anywhere. I want to strike up a conversation with someone. And my general go-to is, do you eat beef? I mean, it's as simple as that. Do you eat beef? And I've, I've brought this conversation up quite a bit. And everyone likes to talk about how much they love their meats and they love their beefs and they love their porks. And that's great and good and golly fine. But 
where is it being sourced from? And how do I, how do I myself move into the, and, and I'm, I'm putting the question out this way so that way you can educate me and hopefully anyone listening can take this and put their own spin on it. How do I go to that person in the supermarket or anyone on the street and say something as simple as where do, do you eat beef? Where do you get it from? And then transition into the, the communication of let's talk to local ranchers. I mean, and that's what you have to do. And you can't, uh, a lot of people try to sell beef and they try to sell a lot of different aspects of basically understanding, you know, the lack of market access that we have right now in the United States. And so I always go into, you know, the lack thereof. And I, the one thing that all you have to do is you say the there's only four multinational corporations that control 80% of our food and they're not located in the United States. And you refer to the beef initiative and we talk about building community and we talk about basically, you know, uh, how to build strong community in which we came from, we have to support our local ranchers. They're looking for you and it's, and people have the misconception that it's more expensive. That's the one question you always get. And it absolutely is not. And that's one thing that the, the ranchers have not been able to basically articulate. Well, I think because we haven't brought the fact of nutrition into the, the selling the beef or speaking about beef. Beef is basically the best nutritional dense protein you can get on the planet. And in the United States, the best in the world, to my opinion, is the regenerative farmer and rancher. So you talk about nutrition, you talk about children, you talk about what this country is going through as a metabolical bankruptcy. And what you have right now, the reports just came out, 88% of Americans are metabolically compromised right now. And you have un, uh, unlimited amount of proof of work, results-driven people that have changed their lives by eating beef and getting out of that metabolical bankruptcy. So I say that we build community by giving the Great American a voice again because we're kicking off the Great American Health Initiative and it's being led by the Great American Rancher and he needs your help. And so let us educate you on what's really going on with the bottleneck of our pure uh, nutrition in this nation and how our local community and our local ranchers are the best to lead that understanding of the poor health that our nation has achieved the last 50 years and how we're going to work ourselves out of it. And it'll be done in a localized, we will build out locally and we will broadcast globally. I love it. I, I love the, every question that I ask is answered perfectly. There's almost no stone left unturned. I love it. But I, I want to give you an example of exactly how, and I, I love how every, every statement I, I leave off of has a but at the end. There's no, there's no, anyway, I like <laughs> to leave my, my conversations or lead them whenever I'm having conversations with people. And I'll tell you right now, when, when I'm talking to family about the beef initiative and buying the meat, I'll throw in a, a quirky, quippy one-liner saying, yeah, I bought some meat off some guy on the internet using Bitcoin. And it just sounds so shady and it's a good conversation starter. And then the, the kicker is I've already brought the meat to the people, fed them with it and gotten the compliments <laughs> on how great it is. And then they say, wow, where did this come from? It's amazing. And then I hit them with the one liner and it's just, it's like a slap in the face that, wow, that sounds scary, but it's unbelievable because then I go into the whole product of the, the beef initiative and everything else. So I like throwing some comedy into it, but right here with, 
with the statement you made that the nutrition that we're trying to to prove 88% of Americans are metabolically deficient. Was that the word you used or yes, with, deficient? There we go. There we yes. go. The media is not spin, and I'm I'm using the the general phrase the media, and I don't like sounding like some of these people. Even a, any podcaster really who will throw the word the media out, I don't like it because I can't put a name or a face to the name. But we'll call it mainstream has right. been fighting this very strong game, and they've got uh, seemingly unlimited resources to be able to demonize the idea of beef or natural foods in general. Now, doctors don't necessarily follow up with that. But even if you get one visit, it's almost the same thing as your, your, your child is going to a public school. They have eight hours minimum every single day, minus any homework or any after school activities in the school system. And then one hour of actual family time at home, where the, where's your indoctrination coming from, where they spend the most time. Same thing with the doctor conversation. You trust your doctor, you're going to take his advice or hers. But then every single day, it's a bombardment from school, work, media, everywhere telling you that beef is bad because cows fart. How do we combat that specific issue while educating people? Is there a good quip we can throw at them, like this one-liner that is not the best joke, but still? Or is, there, is it better to throw them educational resources and treat it like an educational session? Is it summits? What do you find is the best for you? I tell them basically there's a lot of different ways because everybody has that, you know, that conversation per se, you know, and what you have to make people understand. I just go back and, and do a reflection of our health and how it has declined. And then I let them know that right now in the United States, 46 percent of our children are now overweight and obese. The uh, CDC just expanded the BMI chart for children. Uh, by doubling it, basically. And so what they, we have, we are killing our children right now and people are not paying attention to it. And the reason that is happening is because of our adult consumption model is allowing us to kill our children because a lot of the adults are suffering and they're the ones that are actually passing it down to their children. And that's done by basically deception through marketing, through our food labeling laws, and of course, through the multinational corporations that sell us, uh, sell us this overly processed, very cheap uh, to make food. And they're going to keep it up because they're, they're basically in, in cahoots with chemical companies that make the food taste good. They play with our neurons, our, our taste buds have been hijacked. So all I do is I say, well, I look at results driven. You look at this and we have so much proof of work from physicians that have come to us that, and they admit that they had very little nutritional training whenever they went to medical school. Uh, many of them left their practices during COVID because, you know, they were trying to, you know, do the right thing with maybe ivermectin or certain protocols, but they talk about the, uh, the, the metabolical destruction of our children with hormone imbalances, uh, children not hitting puberty, boys coming in looking asexual. We now have fatty liver disease showing up in children, and that's because of high fructose corn syrup and seed oils. This is the doctors telling us. And so there's really not an argument. And if you look at the history of who's saying that there's climate change, this is nothing new in history. And to basically nutritionally starve a uh, society uh, hasn't been anything that's new. It's just new to us. And whenever you can actually get a society to 
perform prohibition against themselves by nutritionally starving them, serving them uh, basically overly processed food that tastes good and tell them that it's healthy and you make billions off of them, then you've won. They're not going to stop doing this. They're playing this and they're doing this for profit. They're doing it to win it. And whenever our adult consumption model is the one thing that has to change, then everybody has to look in the mirror and say, I have to take a stand and I'm not going to perform this type of consumption model anymore. I'm going to change my audio, my video and my food consumption to something I see that has, has been results driven people that have lived that life and have overcome health or obesity or metabolical compromises. This is happening left and right in the beef initiative. Okay. Okay. So then what I'm hearing from you, on this is that to get to get the people to a state of mind where they can accept the fact that we've been sold a bill of goods by every interested financially interested party we need to have a perspective shift on how we view what we eat and what we consume not just nutritionally but media wise and and just what gets into our peripherals senses whatever it may be but Something that I've noticed in my own life that I've been completely obsessed with recently is history of how someone got to the place that they are in their current belief system. I'm one of these that now currently believes, and you know, it's not like I didn't have this in the back of my mind, but I'm a stronger believer now that 9-11 was an inside job and we can go into that if we need to, but it, it's how did I get there? And that's a weird uh, segue into this, but how did, how did Slim, how did you get to Start the idea of starting the beef initiative. I don't necessarily mean <laughs> what health concerns did you have because I want to hear that too. But I mean everything else as well. What what steps got you to the belief that I need a movement? Was it a book you read? Was it a podcast you listened to? Was it your own personal personal health journey that brought you to a resource that led you down this trail? And your seed of deception, I believe, is what your Substack article was the first one. What led you to deception, yes. that one harvest of deception? Yeah. What what caused that writing? How did you do your research for that and and everything else involved? Well, in, we won't talk about the health journey because that's a that's a talk within itself. But it was a it, it was a it was a tough one, but it it had a glorious results in because I I choose to really take uh, ownership of my uh, health. And I wasn't going to give it over to somebody else. But because of that, I, I dove down deep and, you know, I grew up in freaking West Texas. I'm a, I'm a grew up in dirt roads, man. I grew up out in the Texas panhandle. You know, this is, this is a pioneering place and it's tough. And a lot of people don't like it. They think it's ugly, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's the desert high plains. It's, <laughs> you know, it's the, the cap rock, the Llano Estacado. So I grew up pretty damn tough and we grew up with beef in our freezer. And we, we always had access to cows at all times. And that just really, I looked back on that and just remembered how our community operated, where I came from, as far as my uh, grandfather's land, where he was an animal producer and a small crop farmer and stuff like that. So it was just in our bloods. I mean, I know harvest, I know ranching, I know cowboy, I know it all, and, but I also know city. And I know how we lost a lot of our small towns in Texas when this food shift happened, when we handed over the control and the profits basically to these multinational food corporations. And I 
lived it. My small town died pretty much. It got very close to dying out in the late 80s. And I showed up in Austin, Texas, basically 19 years old with $125 in my pocket. And I learned how to, um, I self-taught, I never went to university or anything like that. I just taught myself technology. It was a good time to learn technology. And I rode that wave and I became a research analyst. And so I worked for telecommunications. I worked for startup companies. I had a very good, successful kind of professional career. And like I said, because I was self-taught, I knew how to research differently and all that kind of good stuff than the institutional academics. And so I always had a different viewpoint from a research standpoint. So I just leveraged a lot of my childhood, how we were raised, our health, how strong I was, uh, how our communities died in the seven, late, uh, started dying in the late 70s and then ended up in the, you know, the savings and loan industry. There was just so many things. Things a lot of people can't reflect on that I can. And by combining all of those skill sets with that health scare, I just got deep down into it. And I said, hell, since I survived all this shit, I'm going to create something that's a movement and I have nothing to lose. And so here we are, you know, that was three years ago, the beginning of the journey. And now we're just, we're finishing up three full years. I drove over, I don't know, 50, 60,000 miles across the country this year. And I went and spoke to thousands of people. I had five events and conferences. And so everything that I've done has not been scripted. I'm just, I'm just basically doing strategic moves as far as the people I'm meeting. And we're doing this in a decentralized grassroots way. And so people are starting to get on. This is not a centralized marketing plan. And that's what I'm telling people. you got to get off the centralized media, the centralized marketing plans, and you've got to turn off the damn TV and you got to become your own research analyst. And you can start with the source of the seed of your nutrition. And that's going to improve your life. And it's basically going to create some of the best relationships you're ever going to have. And you're going to be able to do a historical journey of our country at the same time. So if you combine all that together, this is an international lifestyle. So it doesn't have any borders and it's not something you can limit. This is going to spread across the world. I'm going to Australia in February, then I'm going to Thailand. We're talking to people in Europe, Croatia, South America. So this is going to become a global movement. It's going to become, like I said, you know, we're going to build out locally and broadcast globally. And people are going to find fascinating um, I guess, value within their ranchers themselves, the animal producers, the people that live and die to feed you. And those relations are built on uh, respect and trust. And so the transparency of it all and the freedom of it all, it's just, it's eye-opening for a lot of people. It is a form of clarity, I think, that people are coming to, especially after COVID, after people have basically turned off the TV a little bit, talking about 9-11 proxy wars that go on, you know, that are never ending now. So you find out a lot about how you can circumvent, circumvent around all that bullshit and you can actually, you know, become some of the most powerful people in our society. And you're doing it in a very holistic, ancestral way that has heritage and legacy to it. Well, I, I like that, that every, every answer has the same theme to it is taking ownership. And that I think is the best reason why Bitcoin is tied to this is because and. I, I'm transitioning into that topic because I want to ask you about Bitcoin, but sure. I want to I want to tell you tell you one more thing here. I 
about getting out of the media, I, while we've been talking, while you've been talking specifically, I took that note to heart where we were talking about cows and cattle and how we're starting to, to, to demonize them. And you, you delved into that comment that I made. And I thought, you know what, what does, what does a supposedly neutral resource have to say about this? And, it, you know, chat GPT, that new AI chat thing that's all over the news because it's so much better than Siri and who knows what. And it's just, I mean, it's better in certain ways. Anyway. I asked this bot just to see what what a neutral source should have to say about cows and the environmental impact they have. And it is straight out of the mainstream playbook. Cows produce methane, a, a potent greenhouse <laughs> gas, as a byproduct of digestion. And it goes into how methane is dangerous. They also require land and resources to feed and pasture, which can lead to habitat loss. And it goes into it. And I'm thinking to myself, if all we're getting from every supposedly trusted and supposedly neutral resource that is, and, and this was fed on the entire internet, you'd think it would be straight down the middle. But as far as what's being pushed to us, it's simply what the mainstream narrative is. And it's heretical, in my opinion. Yeah, it's terrible. It it's uh, it's. Well, it is. And this is the information war. And like I said, I was in telecommunications, you know, and I was research analyst in telecommunications, man. I was close to a lot of freaking information. People do not fully realize that there is a major information war going on. And once again, it's a form of prohibition against the truth. And it's a form of control. And people have to quit. I call it rent seeking, you know, quit rent seeking your value in your life, go out there and do it by something that is results driven. And that's the only acceptance. And once everybody can accept that there's bullshit going on with information and communications and media, you know, I haven't watched TV for over three years. It's, it's the happiest I've ever been in my life because basically people get addicted to the fear porn is what I call it. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. And they become a marketing arm of the fear porn. And because they parrot that information all over each day, 24 hour news cycle. And so people have to direct that addiction. Once again, changing your consumption model from audio to video to basically your food. And if you take a step back and look at your history, man, it's the lifestyle that people need to hear. They don't need this form of centralized communication apparatus that's been built across the globe. And it's coming with AI as you bring up. There's algorithms out there that people don't even know. There's predictive marketing analysis. There's just unlimited amounts of data being taken from you every day. You have become the product for being the product. I like it. I like that mindset. I, man, I, I'm so in, into trying to get people out of that, that mindset that when, when the beginning of COVID came down and ivermectin was first brought up, and I, I remember No Agenda Show was about three weeks ahead of the curve on any of this medication talk, I sure. started to suggest, hey, maybe try ivermectin because I heard it. I didn't know, but it was a, there was a paper published, peer-reviewed study, and I suggested it even that quick. People were on the, the, all the mainstream media was on the cusp of it. And they had already pushed the message that it's just horse dewormer because I mentioned it to <laughs> someone who shouldn't have any earthly knowledge, even knowing about ivermectin. And the first thing buzzword ivermectin, oh, isn't that a horse dewormer? And I'm over here like, <laughs> no, there's a pill. What are you talking about? And that's all he heard. So that's all he parroted. And then it makes you wonder, same, same as me. I haven't watched, I mean, mainstream news. I watch a little bit of uh, TV with the boys and Power Rangers and Ninja Steel every once in a while. But as far as TV, 
happiest of my life, most productive of my life as well. And then thanks to the beef initiative, getting the beef that I have makes me feel the best out of my life. Leading into that, I bought mine through Bitcoin, which was not as hard as everyone says, because Bitcoin is becoming mainstream to a point, but it's becoming cash app is now accepting it. Everything that's Every settlement through Cash App is now settled through Bitcoin. As far as I'm understanding it, it'll do a conversion in the back end that no one knows about, and then it'll settle in, in cash. But every conversion through the process across states and whatever to avoid fees is done through Bitcoin is, is what I've heard. I'm not sure if I'm parroting that right, but that's amazing. And it was so easy. You put your money into Bitcoin, convert it in, or into Cash App, convert it to Bitcoin, and then send a lightning address. Done. Well, and let's talk about the value there. You talk, you know, on no agenda, Adam was always talking and he, he really pushes this and I do too, is the value for value exchange. It is a peer-to-peer transaction. And what's so beautiful about ranching and kind of how I came to this aha moment with Bitcoin, the beef initiative, food intelligence, shaking a rancher's hand, everything. My grandfather reckon, sh- walking up and doing a peer-to-peer transaction, maybe barter, you know, a half a hog for a quarter cow, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that all that exists through Bitcoin. And our grandparents knew how to do it. They just didn't have something that they called Bitcoin. They had relationships. And those relationships were very valuable. And so whenever you can use Bitcoin as a transactional tool that's really saving the rancher 3% of what the credit card fees and the credit card companies are charging, plus they eliminate all chargebacks. And it is a settlement that is done out of ownership, obligation, transparency, peer-to-peer, and value-for-value exchange. And what a great way to live. You feel so good about it. Every time you feed your family with this, uh, basically this beef with that was done with sound money, which is Bitcoin, you know, that's creating a sound health for your family with sound communications. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no battling or arguing the fact that this is something that is here to stay and it's something that we've done before we're not reinventing the wheel the technology has changed and that is it nope lost you there for a second there you are there you are i don't know what happened but we got we got lost i'll edit this out no problem (laughs) no problem i don't edit anything this is gonna stay in um I lost you at, you were talking about value for value exchange. Right. And this, you know, having that value for value exchange, did you hear about the credit card companies? Yes. Did I bring that up? Okay. Well, that value for value exchange is, is a lifestyle. You, you really are accountable. And that's what's so cool about, you know, the beef initiative, having so many ranchers coming in because there's so much value that they get by being in the beef initiative. We don't go sell the beef initiative to ranchers and producers. They come in voluntarily and everybody is welcome. They just have to be transparent, honest and willing to learn about Bitcoin and establish some good relationships with the people that want to be fed by them. So it's a, it's an equal value, uh, ranchers wanting to learn about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, people wanting to teach ranchers about Bitcoin, you know, the beef initiative has been such a great bridge 
And, you know, that's what people need to look at it as right now is just, you know, jump in and the rabbit hole goes deep. I mean, we're going to start doing newsletters to our producers. You know, I'm going across the world. We're bringing all kinds of beef intelligence into the discussions this year. Uh, we're going to have, you know, we're, we're in alliance with many legislation here in Texas. We know processing laws. I mean, we just have so much valuable information that everybody's going to benefit from it, from the consumer to the to the themselves. Oh, I love that. I love to hear that, man. I, I follow the, your newsletter, uh, Slim's vision. Yes. Uh, or no, Texas Slim's newsletter. Texas. Uh, your, yeah. The Substack, the Texas yes, Slim Substack. Dot, Substack.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Your new, your podcast has now been rebranded to Texas Slim's vision, but no, man, that's what it was. Yes. It was Texas Slim's vision. And now it's just, I am Texas. Slim. No, I'm so wrong. I'm throwing everything. Under the bus. That's okay, man. Notes. It's kind of confusing, but we had no. to do that because we created a nonprofit and it's okay. called the I am Texas Slim foundation. And what it is, it's a nonprofit trust foundation for the ranchers we allot each rancher one grant uh for ten thousand dollars a year we've uh, basically just awarded our first grant i put up one full bitcoin and we established the uh the trust and it's backed by one full bitcoin and now we're accepting donations but what we do is we give that grant over to the rancher and they can do whatever they want as far as educational purposes to bring in interns apprenticeships whatever they want to do to improve their land. Maybe they need another revenue stream so they can do glamping or something like that. Anything mm -hmm. that they can do because they want to educate. And so this grant and this nonprofit foundation is a tool and a roadmap to be able to do that. So we've done one rancher. We've got five ranchers that are now waiting in line. And uh, what we need now is more exposure, more people paying attention, understanding because Jason Rick of Rick Ranches of Colorado, he's been the part of the be finished since the very beginning and he was the one he, he got this first grant and so we're going to be, be able to bring through podcasting and uh audio and video content everything he does with that grant so people can learn and people can be entertained at the same time so i always I always joke around is like every the number one tv show in the nation right now is yellowstone and that's about a rancher trying to save his ranch from multinational billionaires well we're the real yellowstone so pay attention because we've got the ranchers we've got the content we've got ranchers all across the united states trying to save their ranches right now we've lost over 40 percent of our ranches in the last 10 to 20 years the general public does not know that this is going away. We have to step up. We have to participate. Once again, it's a lifestyle. No, I like that. I found a new, I found a show title I was searching for when I was going to do a uh, value for value with Texas Slim or taking ownership, but I got the new Yellowstone or the real Yellowstone. I'll do that. That sounds great. I like that. I like it a lot. Perfect. Um, perfect. Okay. So then with, with Bitcoin, I know you guys are getting together with Ibex and I have a question as far as um, shipping rates. So when I bought uh, my very first package, it came through KNC Cattle, and that one took mm -hmm. quite a long time. But you guys were, I actually got a hold of Cole at KNC. I believe it was Cole. And, yes. And my, my question was, hey, I, I'm not rushing you guys. I know that you guys are taking in a lot of <laughs> orders now that, you know, Texas Slim is preaching the message. But I was just wondering, is there a timeline? Because I didn't get anything. And they were in the process of getting the new, uh, what was it, not the, the, the processor. They were yes. trying to get a processing plant set up for themselves specifically. So it, it a whole bunch of stuff just piled in at the wrong time, but best time because they got a lot of orders and got them out as quick as possible. 
But because of shipping rates from Texas to the Pacific Northwest, because there's nowhere nearby, it came up to a significantly high number, even though it was still half price of what was in Costco for 20 pounds of beef. Right. Still, my question is, what what do you know about about that? Because I'm trying to get everyone to start buying directly through the beef initiative now. Just so yeah. I mean, if you're going to spend 300 at Costco, why not spend 300 through the beef initiative? Well, and that's what we do daily and weekly. We work with uh, Cole is our number one distributor through the Beef Initiative. We have a strong partnership. He's been with us since day one. And we also have a very strong relationship with Holy Cow. Those are our two distributors at this point in time. And what we do is we look at shipping costs. We know that's a pain point. And what we're trying to do is educate everybody because you talk about the processing plant. That's, that's what's so beautiful about the Beef Initiative. We're not using multinational processing plants. We're going through regional and local processing plants that we have control over and not the multinational corporations. And that's what Cole was doing. They had just built their regional processing plant. And like you said, we, we got a big hit there at the same time. So switching processing plants upping your inventory, going all through the cuts, you know, getting regulations inspected and everything, we pulled it off pretty well. But now we can feed the nation. And because we are feeding a nation right now, what we've been able to do, and we'll be able to announce this, and it's close enough that we're going to have a basically major reductions in shipping because now the volume has increased. So we get breaks and we can pass that along to everybody else. And oh, what we also sure. need to tell everybody is that, well, you think you're getting free shipping whenever you order these other companies, you're not. What you're doing is you're getting a subsidized product. And what they're doing is they're building that subsidized product price to a point level where they're making profit off of it. And they can say that it is free shipping, but you're actually paying it because you're, you're basically your product that you are receiving usually is substandard to what we're shipping as well. So a lot of people start educating themselves on what shipping is, how it's done. And so they understand that, you know, maybe free shipping really isn't free shipping. And once you get that value that you received when you first got it, I mean, you can't, you can't go back. You're not going to, it's the best beef you've ever eaten probably, or some of the best of, and once you start this consumption model, you don't, you don't stop and you make certain decisions, life decisions. And so that's what we're doing with the beef initiative. We iterate and we bring ever possible cost cutting measure that we can. And uh, that's what's so beautiful about right now. We're about to really turn it up in 2023 because we're going to be able to play with the big boys now. Oh, I like that. I, and, and I like the quality of the meat topic you brought up. My goodness, it's, it is such a big difference. And I, I told you this the last time we talked, but I want to say this one more time because I tell it to everyone about quality of meat. You mentioned substandard quality is what you're getting from other people. And I don't think anyone gets the idea because the flavor is close and it is actually meat. It's not an impossible burger, but <laughs> what are you lacking is the problem. Well, I tried to do a carnivore diet for a month just to see what would happen. I, there was no advice about it. It's just what would happen? What's 30 days? Let's try it. So I tried it. Everything that I could get as far as quality from Costco, from uh, Fred Meyer and just local providers. And I did it that way. Well, I started feeling better. Inflammation in my joints went down. I felt healthier, pep in my step, everything else. And I'm only 26. So it's not like I need the biggest pep. I'm still pretty energetic dude, but I have uh, inflammation of the joints all over. So it's a a problem. Either way, all went down. 
problem is I developed a massive, massive twitch in my eye and my <laughs> fingers would lock up on my left hand. And yep. I was thinking, what in the world is this? So I looked into it. It's a magnesium and potassium deficiency. I was about to magnesium tell you, you is supposed a mag- to be, there you go. Yeah, it's supposed to be high in these red meats, but it's not because it's subpar quality meats. Yep. 100%. Yeah, so I switched over, switched over to uh, the beef initiative meats. I got that 20-pound pack, started at the ground beef, then moved on to the Texas ribeye and the chuck eye, and it's, it's gone. I mean, I supplemented it a bit before I got my meats because there was a little bit of a waiting period, but it was gone. And it's, it just, it's one of these things that you'll see it once you try it, but who's going to take that month-long try and then it's, it's that taking ownership of anything. So I tried to taking ownership to a degree, then moved on to beef initiative. And now, now I know exactly the difference between subquality and quality meats. And that, that's once again, you know, that's the prohibition of information because, you know, we still uh, basically produce the best beef in the world as far as the United States. But the best beef, even if we're, you know, grain finishing, you know, there's a big argument there. And once again, this is not a, a judgment against any form or fashion of any American rancher. Everybody is surviving. They're fighting to do what they do. But what people don't understand is most of our quality beef in the United States gets shipped to overseas and we get subpar beef shipped to us from australia south america africa other foreign countries and basically it ends up that we're getting their subsidized beef that probably would be good in their country but by the time it gets to the american consumer it has been basically uh you know degenerated in such a way that the nutritional value is subpar and it's just because you know you don't ship beef all across the world especially you know in wet aging once again beef intelligence coming in you know uh there's a box company online and most of their beef comes from australia they wet age that it shows up frozen it's just the 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 drying process is something the aging process is something that people start understanding if you're buying from the supermarket costco something like that you have no aging process with that beef it just cannot be compared there is no comparison anymore especially now especially with the quality of regenerative protocols that we have through the beef initiative and across this country we have over 110 producers that have come into the beef initiative and so there's a lot of quality work being done within the the nutritional value of beef and it's being done from the soil that's where we get our vitamins and minerals and a lot of people do not really fully understand how important the soil is and how important the cow is they are the land tools and they basically save carbon they don't produce carbon they basically request sequester carbon in the soil because of their process you know if you look at the cow over history it's always been worshipped throughout ancient times something about the cow is something very valuable to humanity once again knowing where you come from where we come from the soil that's where we get our health and people Mm -hmm. start figuring that out because they do go out there and shake a rancher's hand and they understand and they ask them say hey teach me what you do and why you do it and so what not along you know not only is it a health or a beef initiative it's a health initiative it goes hand in hand and it's done decentrally where you actually believe and trust the information that you're getting because it's results driven it's proven there's proof of work and that's what's beautiful about it. Well, this, this proof of work concept and the value for value is permeating. And like you said, it's, it's not just a beef initiative. It's the health initiative. And if you look mm-hmm. into any other health initiative, like open or sorry, crowd health, 
the app where people can, I think it's even through Bitcoin, you could stake some Bitcoin and then you yep. can use that to fund uh, other people's premiums and their insurance bills and they do the negotiating on your behalf. Well, it's the same idea. Your value for value is being put forth. We need to take ownership. We need to decentralize and we need to start taking responsibility for our own health instead of outsourcing it. And that's, that's the biggest problem is, I mean, we live in probably the most spoiled society and I should know I'm one of the most spoiled. I live in Liberty Lake in a very nice apartment, even though it's extremely expensive and I'm struggling to make ends meet. I <laughs> even me struggling to make ends meet is still a spoiled lifestyle. If you compare it to anyone in any, even back in Idaho and Boise, where I'm from, this is spoiled. My sister's not living in the best situation as I am. So it's like, and, and I, we're all struggling. So for me to say that, it's so easy to switch over your entire lifestyle and take responsibility of everything. It's not, but is it, it good things never come easy is, is the mentality that I have. It's trying to push that mentality onto others is, and not necessarily push, but, and not even to sell, but to make the relationship where you can convince someone that their health matters, they should take that responsibility on and take responsibility for the others around them. So we don't keep outsourcing it and get worse progressively. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, why do we get out of bed every day? You know, we get out of bed to feel empowered and across this nation, we're not empowered anymore unless we're basically consuming something from a multinational grain or chemical company, pharmaceutical, you know, that's, that's how we operate, man. 78% of Americans are on prescriptions like to, you know, it's just the, all the statistics are just overwhelming that we are searching for happiness in the wrong ways. And whenever you can really show somebody, you know, by example that, Hey man, this is, this is what you're looking for. And it's very simple. It's complicated to most people. That's what's fascinating by all of this, because we get inundated with so much stupid deception when it comes to what is healthy and uh, diets and the fad diets and everything across the planet that happens. And we don't fully realize as American society that there's third world countries that are healthy, more healthy than we are nutritionally than the most powerful nation on earth. Well, that's because basically we are the, the guinea pig and we are the product, like I said before. And so all of the facts lie up. You can, you, anybody that comes to me with an argument, I've got, I've got it covered, man. That's, that's how long we've been doing this. There is no more arguments and we will not even validate the deceptions anymore. And that's what oh. I tell everybody else. Quit validating the deceptions. If you believe there's a problem, you're the one that has to take that action and not validate it. So I tell everybody I'm going to live in the rent free in their head. They're either going to love me or hate me. That's up to them. What I'm yeah. being is very truthful and honest. And I'm not judging anybody. We've all played a part in this. And so it's time to step it up. And, and admit, like I say, the accounting, we'll get all David Goggins and get the account accountability mirror out, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we, so who are you? Are you, you know, are you a real man and a real woman, a real parent? Do you really want to enjoy this life? Do you want integrity? Do you want to really say, hey, I made a difference and I left a legacy instead of a heartbreak or, uh, you know, a story about ill health whenever I didn't have to? So it's really up to the individual right now. And that's the only way you build strong community is by strong individuals. You need, you need several strong individuals to lead from the front. And that's what I ask the producers to do right now, because that's where they come from. 
And that's where a lot of people in our community on the, as far as the consumer side is coming from is they're tired of the bullshit. So let's, let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this to save children's lives because this is, this is an epidemic that a lot of people don't want to, it's, you know, we live in the shadows and I'm just not going to allow that anymore with anybody that I associate with. No, I understand that completely. I, I'm nervous. My, my firstborn, strong, youthful, <laughs> spry, young kid. He's six years old now. He's got all the energy in the world. Second born kid's name is Luke. He's three and a half now going to turn four soon, but he's when he was born, he was a lot fatter. <laughs> now, yeah. I doesn't say much, you know, fat baby's a cute baby. That's not a problem, but it's, right. it was a bit scary because when my wife was pregnant with him, she got uh, gestational diabetes because that's just the way that we were living. And this was, you know, over three years ago, three and a half years ago, but still it's the way we were living, the food we were taking in, she got gestational diabetes. And this kid is severely prone now because of that to get his sure. own version of problems that are associated with diabetes. And it's one of these things that now I'm starting to think about it. Every time I give this guy even a chocolate bar, even when we go into the gas station and say, Hey, you know what? Here's some drugs for, for you. Here's some, here's some chocolate yeah. and sugar. Cause you know what? You're, it, it's, it's a heartstring pulling moment, but then every time it comes down to food and eating, it's, you better eat all your meat. I don't care about anything else. I mean, I do, but, but you better eat every bit of meat that's in front of you. Cause <laughs> hopefully that counteracts every other bit of poison I put in you just because it tasted good for the moment. And to give them that realization, like, here's something. My yeah, father-in-law, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, but you're right. You're exactly right. And a lot of people get uh, handcuffed and uh, they get their hands tied. They can't make decisions. They get in analysis paralysis on how to approach, you know, their children or their own consumption. Man, this is not a black and white game, man. You, you're always improving. You're always iterating. You're always basically leading truth in food. Don't be afraid to do truth in food. Be very stern about it and don't compromise. But admit and be honest, say, yeah, this is this is bullshit. This this candy bar is freaking poison. But damn it, you know, I'm going to enjoy it. And, you know, you put limitations and you stand with the integrity of self. And so, you know, you chat chatting the kids. My son, he's 18 now. He doesn't he doesn't like sweets. He never did as a kid. And he'd have ice cream every once in a while, but he never really had the, the sugar addiction. And they have over 90 names for sugar now. So everybody thinks, oh, it's sugar-free. That's a bunch of BS. You know, once again, <laughs> that goes back to the labeling laws. If you're reading packages and that's your food intelligence, well, good luck. And, you know, I can, I can name off all kinds of things that have happened within our labeling laws. You know, last year, the FDA won a lawsuit in October 21 to where they could introduce 2000 new chemicals into our food system under the gross rule, which is generally rec recognized as safe. And they don't have to tell us what it is. And so we're eating chemicals. We don't know. Food is now a drug. And basically, food should be medicine and medicine should be food. That's just not the case anymore. And that's what people need to understand is the apparatus that they're up against, the amount of deceptions that are involved with these labeling laws, and basically the, the, the government programs that are set to protect you. Well, they, we just saw what happened with COVID. So, you know, everybody can make up their own damn mind. But on this side of truth of food and pu you know, purity of food, we have proof of work. We have results. Nobody has to argue. There are no arguments. We're living it. Look at us. Look at the people that come through this and the life's changing stories that you hear. It's that yeah, simple. That's, 
that's all the proof you need. I, I have a question for you, though, on that last statement. And this might be a question for another episode because we're, we're approaching a time that I'm starting to get my phone blown up with because I'm still technically on the job. Uh, I hear but, you. Uh, but my question, it, is it profitable? And how is it profitable for them to be injecting that many things to go from shipping from America to another country and then back again if it has to come back or even shipping around America, even just one round of shipping, then the preservatives and everything else that goes into the, the commoditized food. And I'm going to call it for what it is. It, it, became, it started out as something natural, which is just beef, whether it's grass-fed, grain-fed, grain-finished, whatever. It started as something natural. It ended up full of chemicals. So how is that more profitable when it's hard enough as it is to get the beef initiative to be able to move things out in a profitable manner. How is it profitable? For us or for the multinational corporations? For the multinationals. I get it. Well, they got more. Well, they've subsidized our food systems and our basically, you know, the great American farmer has been subsidized to, he's totally captured with the, the monocropping and the amount of grain that's produced and subsidized. And that, you know, is the starting point for the food deception in which we're living in with all the commoditization of everything, even in beef, you know, it's a commodity. So, you know, by subsidizing the food in a way and making it extremely cheap to basically industrial produce in a in in, a, in such a global industrial way. Well, they're living off of governments, you know, and uh, you know the lobbyists and everything that happens. We're paying for our own basically destruction, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. And we do it in many ways. I mean, food is should not be this cheap and convenient if you're if you're looking at food and thinking you're eating your 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 basically your consumption models because it's convenient well you're you've missed the boat on what food really is food is about survival and being strong that's it that's how we got here those are facts from the first time we had fire and beef our brains got bigger our stomachs got smaller and we evolved into what we is it's not a religious thing it's not an evolution thing this is just how it happened when you look at american history we were the strongest whenever we were basically there's more people in the great depression had stronger nutritional value in those soup lines than the average ceo sitting in a boardroom today those are facts and so what changed? Well, it changed the over-subsidizing of our food, of our great grain lands, the Midwest, the breadbasket. So you just look at the facts. Once again, you just break it down. You just don't do one little Google search. You get some food intelligence and you come through the beef initiative. You get all kinds of information that is proven, factual, can't argue it. And that's it. It's just a rabbit hole and it never ends. Okay. Okay. So, um, Last question that I got for you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tie into anything that you say because everything that you say, if I if I try and summarize it, it doesn't do it justice. Summarization is not necessary <laughs> for this. This needs long form commentary. So me to just say, hey, oh, this is like I did with the first one. That was all right, but this is this needs to be left the way it is. Last point. How yep. do how do I strike up the best conversation? How does Texas Slim? strike up a conversation with a rando at a gas station, just shaking hands at the register, if that was the case, saying, where do you get your beef? How would I do something as generic as that? Oh, man, I don't do it too often. Most of the time, what I'm doing is building a relationship. But if I'm in a casual situation at a, I don't, only, only reason I go in convenience stores is to use the restroom and get gas. 
And, you know, the freaking supermarket has become the convenience store and the convenience store has become the supermarket. Those places mm-hmm. are well, poisonous. But anyway, striking up a general conversation, I just, you know, I don't even, uh, you know, you don't even have to say, where do you get your beef? Just say, man, you check out this, maybe this lifestyle place. It's, it's called the Beef Initiative. It's pretty cool. That's it. Oh, Intrigue, okay. mystery, there you know, whatever. You go. Curiosity killed the damn cat, man. Like I say, we don't have to overanalyze this stuff. Just, uh, just be true with it. Say, man, it's a, it's a truly a lifestyle place, man. Check this place out. I just found it, and I had to tell somebody about it. That's it. Oh, it's so that oh, simple. Oh, you're into lifestyle, and you haven't checked out the Beef Initiative. Ah, you're faking that whole thing. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Okay, yep. cool. All right. Oh, dude, Slim, this was this was great. I mean, I I I didn't bring a whole bunch to the table. I left it up to you because I wanted you to because I wanted to leave it open to answer these questions that I may have had. And if, if we do this again, if you grace my, my podcast in the future, we'll have more of a, that question and answer about your history and your come up. So it's not just the beef initiative. I want to preach a beef initiative, but I want to know more about slim as well. So in the future, uh, I'll plan for that sometime down the road, whenever you're available and so am I. It's a good, fascinating story. I've enjoyed the ride. Okay. I can't <laughs> wait to hear all of it. I, re- I really can't. I want to know more about you. Okay. Slim. But- all right. Thank you. I for coming appreciate on. you, brother. You too. Man. Take care. Yep.